At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Roto-World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short and I'm joined here as always by Drew Silva. And I'm happy to say we have another guest with us this week, this time Roto-World's own Chris Crawford. Thanks for coming on again, Chris. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. How's everybody hanging in there? Oh, I'm doing all right. <laughs> um, man, I, I don't know what, what topic we want to talk about first, but I, I feel like on last week's show dj you and i were kind of saying like by this week's episode we should like kind of have some idea of uh if the M- if mlb and the mlbpa are going to be able to come together on an agreement and i feel like we are almost have like less of a feel of whether that's going to happen um right. I, yeah I, I don't i don't know like i don't know where I, I i keep telling myself like i said on on the show last week like this is a negotiation and it's just it's playing out on social media like if the 94 strike were happening and twitter was around we'd hear some of the same vitriol and saying saying oh we're not going to make a counter offer but like that's not even really a thing of course you're still talking um so i i i don't know i i what's what's the latest news on that i guess mlbpa put out a a, a statement like right before we started recording um and I didn't actually read the full statement yet. I was skimming through it right as we started. Yeah, so basically uh, the players said that they're not going to make any more concessions in regard to salary reductions mm-hmm. that were already agreed upon, you know, back in March. The, thing, the, the crux of sort of this disagreement right now is, I mean, it is about pay when it comes down to it. It's also about games. Uh, but I think there's there's two extremes going on. What the players propose as far as the season being like, what, 114 games or something crazy, right. 100, 110 games, which is like comically long and there's no chance that's going to happen. And then what the owners are preferring right now with that uh, prorated pay, they want to have it as low as 40 or 50 games, which is like a comically low number of games. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be some middle ground here. And I think they all know what that middle ground is. <laughs> and yeah. I think we'll get there eventually with some level of deferred pay. And I think everyone knows that's what it's going to be. But, you know, you want to get any little inch you can. Uh, as, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it will come down to. And I still am very confident there will be baseball. But, uh, you know, this statement from the MLB... BPA is basically saying like, 
hey, you know, general public, if there's no season, like, this is on the owners. It's not on us. It's it's so weird because you guys remember when uh, Passan Kim went on ESPN and he proposed, he announced that the 50-game proposal from MLB, and it's kind of weird. It, it almost was like you were going through the, the stages of grief finding out about <laughs> yeah. the 50-game thing because at first it started out like, okay, they're proposing 50 games, so now we can start this compromise. And then another report came out like an hour later that it's like, well, no, this is kind of a last resort thing for 50 games. And then like an hour later, it was like, no, this is a threat. <laughs> so yeah. it went from being like <laughs> yeah. possible great compromise to a threat from the owners to play basically one third of a season. I just get, I'm, I'm getting more and more confused by what's going on. I, I wish I shared your optimism. DJ about this, I, I, there just seems to be so little common ground between the two sides that I, I just don't know. Ultimately, you're probably right, just because there are billions of dollars at stake and because of the impending threat of the 2021 season having issues because of the, uh, the expiring CBA. But I really don't know what to think anymore about anything and everything in life. I mean, that's, that's absolutely true. <laughs> All right. And the M- NBA officially announced on Thursday afternoon that they're returning right. um, in Orlando, or they're going to try to. Um, and the NHL is moving into phase two of their return to play initiative, 2014 playoff style tournament. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, baseball is just going to look really bad if they don't come together. I, I, it seems like what you said, DJ, there's like an obvious middle ground here where it's like 70 to 80 games. Um, you know, maybe you give the players full prorated shares, but you expand the playoffs this year and next, and you mm-hmm. defer some of the prorated shares like to be paid out over the next two years. That seems like something that they could all agree on. Like that wouldn't necessarily be a concession in pay, which is what the MLBPA is saying, like we're not doing. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it'd be good for everybody. And I'm hoping that we're going to get there and it's going to be like early next week when we get there. But man, the pace of this, of this it's, negotiation is terrible. really like, they need to get it done, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the, I mean, we're, we're pushing towards mid June and if they want to play in early July, it's, it's got to happen like within the next five days, I feel like. Sure. And I, I mean, I think we heard that July 4th or July 4th weekend start date for a while. But I thought I saw a report this week that maybe uh, July 15th is being kicked around now. And the further these negotiations are dragging on and on, I mean, that might be more realistic uh, when it comes down to it. Um, and, and just looking, you know, zooming out and thinking about baseball as a whole, To it's complex because, like, we, we can't forget there is a pandemic yes. going on in this country still. Right. Um, obviously... You know, it's fallen a bit out of the headlines uh, right now, you know, due to all the protests um, that are going on and right and rightfully so. But, um, you know, if MLB loses this opportunity and and can't come together in in the backdrop of, you know, ridiculous unemployment in this country, it's just going to look so terrible for the sport. And it's going to be really hard for them to overcome that. Um, you know, when fans can come back in the stadiums, who knows what right. that will look like. I mean, uh, oh, oh, and the other interesting thing I wanted to, to raise here is apparently the state of Texas might yeah. allow 
fans into the stadiums uh, with the Rangers and the Astros. I don't, I don't know what that's about, but uh, it that... seems like it would have to be a, a league-wide thing, right? Right. You, that would. I mean, that's kind of an advantage. Yeah. Wouldn't Wouldn't you think? Or I I don't know. I I can't imagine that MLB would. I don't know. I guess it means revenue for the owners in that state, and there. I guess there will be other states in that position. But what you were talking about, DJ, what people kind of have forgotten—not forgotten, but like the the pandemic has kind of moved to the backdrop. And you know, man, you you see thousands of people in the streets, and I'm all for those protests. Like, I've got really nothing to add to that other than like I I understand why that why it's happening, and, and I'm in full support of it. Um, but you know, thousands of people are like suddenly all around each other and some of them are wearing masks, but I think like sweat is like the biggest way that, uh, coronavirus can transfer. Like I'm, I'm sure those people are sweating on each other in, in DC and Los Angeles and New York. And yeah, it was hot today. It was like, almost, it was yeah. like 85 degrees. I don't know what it was in DC, but I'm sure it was really humid. Um, yeah, as it always is. But yeah, I mean, I mean that that second wave like might come a lot sooner sure. than, um, and I I don't know I, I I feel bad like framing that around the protests because obviously there are bigger issues um, that those protests are are for. Uh, but I it's just something in the back of my mind like I, all these leagues are making these plans. Like I don't know, two weeks from now we could start seeing another big spike in, in the coronavirus and that could be back kind of at the forefront. And I, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins player recently tested positive for coronavirus. And I don't know. And, and in Japan uh, on their first day of exhibition games, they had two positive tests among their oh. players. So I don't, I don't know. I think that the health and, and, and safety aspect, I understand. I think the players and, and owners were able to come to an agreement on what that should look like, but, you know, you can't really dictate what the coronavirus is going to do once we get this second wave or we might already be in it. And I read something uh, yesterday that Florida t- uh, has seen their numbers growing as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, some of that has to do with the fact that they're, they are doing more testing. So you would expect those numbers to grow. But there's also reports about uh, like a, an awful lot of pneumonia cases have been reported in Florida that may not actually be pneumonia. And, right. you know, and I'm, it's, it's not like with the Texas thing, if I'm the players, there's no way in heck I want to play games in front of fans right now. I, I understand um, that, that additional revenue and stuff, but it should be an all or nothing thing. And if they're already taking the risk of being on that field, I do not want the additional uh, risk of possibly passing this virus on to somebody else by having fans in the stand. I would imagine that Major League Baseball and the MLBPA would have to come to some sort of deal where it's, look, for this season, especially for a truncated season, we just have to make it no fans. Um, but uh, I, that seems like common sense to me, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of common sense going on right now. Yeah, and I think eventually, you know, they sort of open the door to, you know, if conditions improve, then eventually maybe there will right. be some uh, some amount of fans allowed in the stands. Uh, I think that's sort of an open-ended question, uh, you know, obviously depending on uh, whatever state it might be and whatever their sure. regulations are. So uh, maybe Texas is willing to be a, a little looser as far as that's concerned, um, but 
in a way, I'm like, I wish we're faced with that scenario because right now right. I, it's just sort of totally unclear what's gonna what's going to happen uh, as far as the season. I'm still optimistic. I think they're just, uh, I think they all know what that middle ground is, and they just need to meet there uh, at some point. I, I do think it's an inev- inevitable though. Um, so just taking a moment here, and obviously it, it's it's hard to talk about anything this week without. Um, without discussing the the death of George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis. Um, you know, I think the, the main thing for me right now is uh, I'm just listening and uh, and learning. I mean, I'm a white guy. I, I grew up in a middle-class family. I've had all sorts of advantages in my life. And, you know, I all I'm doing is just sort of reflecting on my experience right now and you know what your privilege kind of enabled you to do with your life and i think personally with me and like my career and my career path like after college i was able to move back in with my parents and do internships or or write for like no money you know and i could have in a different scenario been you know i just got to get a got to get a job cuz i have to live you know what I mean, and and it might Absolutely. not have, might not have even been possible for me. Uh, so you think about those barriers for entry for other people, and you see that represented, uh, you know, within the sports writing field, within fantasy baseball, where it's predominantly Absolutely. white male. Um, so I'm certainly thinking of ways we can change that. I don't think it's going to change overnight, but it's something that I am thinking about a lot. And I hope it's a conversation we continue to have after, you know, this does leave the headlines and we get distracted by an election and and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's something that should be a a priority for all of us, uh, you know, to just think about your own life and the things that uh, you've benefited from. You know, if you are a white person, there are things that you can do. I think you hit the nail on the head, especially with the listening thing. It's you, you have to have those uncomfortable conversations right now and you have to listen to what black people are telling us and what they've gone through and understanding, understanding that we can truly never understand what it is like to be that black person. I, I was talking actually to Patrick Doherty on this, about this the other day that these conversations are super uncomfortable, but, but they're absolutely necessary. Uh, I, I totally understand how uncomfortable it can be to talk to somebody who has unfortunately uh, ignorance to this situation. Uh, it's, it's very hard to change someone's mind, but I feel like that we have an obligation to listen and to explore those conversations with those folks in our lives that just don't seem to understand. And ultimately it's all we can do. And it's just about trying to figure out uh, you know, t- talking about comparing it to what's going on in baseball is silly, but finding finding middle ground doesn't seem like the right answer. It's it's about un- figuring out what we can do to make these injustices go away. And it's a long process and it's an uncomfortable process, but we have to start and we have to listen. Yeah, we're we're three white dudes who uh, yeah. <laughs> write about baseball online. So. Yeah. I don't think anyone's coming to this podcast for like insight on the unrest that's going on in this country, police issues of police brutality. And 
I was, you know, I, I feel like fortunate to have parents who like, you know, as I, when I was a kid, like it explained racism to me very clearly and, and, you know, how, how I'm, I, I was to behave to treat everyone as equals. Um, and like they exposed me to diverse people and diverse cultures and feel very fortunate about that. But there was, a, there was a tweet from a guy, uh, I, I can't find it. I think he was a New York times writer about how he got caught using a, a $20 counterfeit bill. He didn't know it was counterfeit. Um, but you know, they called the cops on him and to him, he's like, Oh, it's just a, a, a story. I tell at like dinner parties now. Sure. Um, but like it, it, it cost George Floyd his, his life, um, being a black man. And I think about like when I was a teenager, like I got caught garage hopping in like a nice neighborhood of St. Louis, which is like where you go and you steal people's beer from like their beer fridges. Um, <laughs> Then like got got pulled over by like the town and country police and you know it's me and two of my friends and they just like made us go back or they like followed us back to one of my friend's parents' house and we just had to like tell our tell his parents what we did um, and that was like the only punishment I was like if I was and I, I thought this from that second that we got pulled over like if I was a a, a black sixteen year old I'm going to jail. And then I'm like in that system and I'm, I'm in there for like breaking and entering who knows what kind of sentence I'm getting. Sure. And then like, I'm in that system and make my life is completely different for, for, you know, one night of like tomfoolery. Um, and I, so I, I just try to be aware that, that I do have a lot of privilege and, um, you know, try to lift others up around me that maybe don't. And I don't really know, I don't know. I, I wish I would have like written something out that was more eloquent, but that's just 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 no. my 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 perspective on this. No, I think that was very good, Drew. Uh, um, totally. I, I certainly have my experiences as as a teenager and in college where I don't even know if I had the proper reference yet to to really think about uh, the advantages that I had or that I was treated differently, and it didn't dawn on me until later. Um, but it is useful to gain that perspective. And if I think this is something that's talked about more and more. People are a lot more open uh, about these things. I, you know, I, I just think about uh, like the youth today. I'm sounding like an old man, but like, you know, kids in high school, kids in, in college, they're so smart about these issues. Yeah. And it gives me like so much hope for the future, at least comparing yeah. with when I was in high school and college and this just wasn't, it just wasn't a thing. It just wasn't a thing that was discussed. And it wasn't too long ago that I was in high school. I guess maybe it was a little while ago. Um, but so much has changed. And so I, I feel really hopeful about the future watching uh, these young activists, whether, you know, whether it is about the death of George Floyd or, you know, with gun control or whatever the case may be, you are seeing the youth sort of leading the way, which I think is, should make everyone feel uh, encouraged. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think you guys both uh, hit the nail on the head again. But in, I'll just say this, that if you have the the means or want to or wondering what you can do, there there's an awful lot of good causes to uh, make donations to. And uh, I certainly hope to uh, help in that cause as well. But uh, it's just really important right now that we, we listen and that we... Uh, it's hard to stay optimistic sometimes about these things, but I think it's important that we that we listen and uh, try to try our best to uh, figure out that common solution. So, Chris, we have you on here to talk 
about the draft, which is actually next week. Uh, yes. I think it's sort of floating under the radar right now, which is which is weird because there's really nothing else going on in the baseball world that you feel like it should be more of a focus, but I feel like people aren't really talking about it that much. Maybe that's just me. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the, the big news of the week from at least from a player news perspective is uh, Chris Archer. Uh, you know, if there is a season this year, he is going to miss it. Uh, surgery for uh, thoracic outlet syndrome, uh, which is never what you want to hear for, for a pitcher. Nope. Uh, you know, the track record for coming back from that is not good at all. The, fir- the first pitcher I thought of was Matt Harvey, of course. Same. Um, you know, but even before that, the track record wasn't good. Um, but of course we've seen what Matt Harvey's look like since then. And, and it's not Matt Harvey. So, uh, you know, it is a shame. I, I think at this point, his future has to be very much in question. Uh, Archer struggled last year, five, one, nine ERA last season, when, last season with the pirates, four, nine, two ERA over 33 starts with the pirates. And, you know, if you look at it, he might already thrown his last pitch for the pirates, his contract has an $11 million club option for 2021. And even if we throw out all the expected penny pinching from owners this off season, sure. uh, you know, it's unlikely that the option would have been picked up anyway, given the way that he's pitched in the past couple of seasons. So, you know, looking back at the trade, sorry, Pirates fans, but uh, yeah. that, that trade is already terrible and it could get yeah. even worse. You know, I was talking about this, sorry to interrupt Drew, uh, with no, somebody on Twitter that, uh, I mean, this might be, especially if Shane Boz becomes what he could be, because you've already seen what Tyler Glass now can do. And we've seen what Austin Meadows can do. If, if Shane Boz is a mid rotation starter or better, and there's a chance that he's better. And of course there's a chance that he's worse as well, but this could go down as one of the worst trades of this century. I mean, considering what Archer has or done or lack thereof and considering what those guys have done i can't think of a worse trade off the top of my head this may be uh irrational thinking but it's it's one of the reasons why i certainly wouldn't pick up that option if i was the pirates but i would be motivated to try to get something done to keep archer uh you know around for 2021 2022 on uh incentive on an incentive-based deal just because I would want something out of this deal to make uh, make it worthwhile. But right now, I really can't think of a worse trade over at least the last 10 years. Yeah, I'm racking yeah, I mean, my brain. I, I'm, I can't yeah. think of one, to be honest. Austin Meadows, like already a four-war player in, like, sure. what, 120 games last year. Tyler Glasnow can be an ace if he can stay healthy. And, yeah, if Shane Baz is, like, the, the cherry on top and – that option uh, for Archer, the buyout's only two hundred fifty thousand oh, dollars. Wow. Like usually on an uh, an eleven million dollar team option, it would be like one point five or two million. But sure, um, it's really cheap. And yeah, I mean, the thoracic outlet is like the, the the scariest two words in baseball now. It seems to kind of shift around. Like for a while, it was elbows were a concern, but I, I think it's all about the shoulder now. If you have a shoulder issue, and then you have to get some kind of surgery to alleviate thoracic outlet syndrome symptoms. I'm, I'm just worried about you ever being the same. I don't think there is like a, a, a study of one, a pitcher who's had it, who has like come back to become an ace. Like I, I don't really don't know of one. Um, it's, 
I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it's like a surgery that they haven't fully figured out yet, or it could just be that like the shoulder is weird. It's a, it's a cavity. It's not like you can just throw a ligament in there from the thigh, like a Tommy John surgery and, and it's going to heal up and actually work again. Um, sometimes it's just like, it's, it's damage that can't be reversed. Nope. Um, yeah, and I, I think Archer, like I, I, he'll be, he will go undrafted for sure. Uh, next spring. Um, and like, he was kind of, he was in like the two hundreds and ADP uh, this spring. And that that's despite him still striking out batters, like at almost career high rates, but right. um, the ERA has risen. The control has, has worsened uh, 55 walks in 119 innings last year. And it just hasn't really been the same since really actually like right before uh, the pirates acquired him from the Rays. Um, and yeah, we're going to need Chris to like, carry the the mlb draft segment entirely so i, I was trying to give you some time to, <laughs> to rest your vocal cords you know actually i was thinking about the worst trades and i think frank costanza would have said the jay buner trade was the worst <laughs> rest um, in peace yeah rest oh. in peace jerry stiller of course um but yeah uh jay buner for ken phelps was that what it was that's correct yes um yeah that's that's bad that was bad. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the Garrett Cole trade wasn't great either. If that's, you wanna... that's a good point. <laughs> Some people told me that I was uh, not supposed to think that wasn't a great trade, but it turned out that it was a uh, pretty bad trade. Giving up an ace for a uh, bunch of utility stuff is uh, generally frowned upon. Yeah. <laughs> so just a quick promo here. Of course, we remain in wait and see mode about a possible season right now, but we're not going anywhere, obviously, uh, not just with this podcast and RotoWorld.com, but also our premium products. The online version of the draft guide is still up and running. We'll be updated as long as there's fantasy drafts, uh, and I anticipate if an agreement comes together, we're going to have a bunch more fantasy drafts, so we're going to update that draft guide. Uh, and you're going to want our season pass, too. Uh, I think it's going to be more important than ever. Strategy is going to be a big part of, of success for this year, especially with such a unique season. And just a little bonus for listening today, you can get 20% off of all of our premium MLB products by going to rotoworld.com slash win. Again, that's rotoworld.com slash win. Go ahead and check it out. So, uh, Chris, the draft is going to be next Wednesday and Thursday, uh, and it's probably the weirdest draft uh, <laughs> in, in MLB history. If you want to explain a little bit about why that is in case people haven't been paying attention. Sure. So because of a variety of reasons, some of them to do with the pandemic and some of them to do with some financial situations that are currently being argued, uh, the draft, which is normally 40 rounds, has been reduced to five rounds this year, uh, and it'll be 20 rounds in 2021. Uh, It's going to be, it's really a case of the fact that uh, scouts weren't really able to see, especially prep players this year, is one of the reasons why they, they've made this announcement to go down to five. But there's also the fact that with looming contraction issues with minor league teams, uh, a real easy way to make it so that you don't have to have those minor league teams is if you don't have a lot of minor league players. And if you're only drafting, I believe it's 188, it's right around that number that'll be drafted in the, uh, in the five rounds that we do, one round on Wednesday and four rounds on Thursday. Um, it, it, it will make it a lot easier to... Uh, make it so that those minor league short season teams won't have the rosters. Uh, a couple of financial things also to keep in mind for this, that uh, players can be paid no more than $100,000 in 2020. The rest of their bonus will be paid over the next two years. 
and any undrafted player can only sign for $20,000. So yeah, these are, it, there's a lot of unusual things going on in this world, but the, the draft has been hit hard by everything going on. So as far as obviously the limitations of the draft, five rounds, and as you said, 20,000 as an undrafted free agent. I mean, do we expect a lot of the prep players to just end up going to college? Yeah, I think so. It, what you'll see is you'll see some of those guys, if the, honor their commitments to go to your LSUs and your Georgias and Texas. And then what I think you'll also see is a lot of these players go to junior colleges because it will give them that opportunity to enter the draft next year. Um, that's, that'll be interesting too, because there, you still only have 20 rounds. I still think there'll be some financial ramifications stuff going on uh, with, with payments and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see uh, the CBA be, can change the draft entirely uh, as well. I think that's one of the issues. Major League Baseball Players Association, in my personal opinion, has kind of uh, railroaded those prospects uh, over their last things. I think that might be something they finally discuss. But but yes, to answer your question, it was a strong, it was not considered a great high school crap to, crap draft to begin with. But I think uh, it's, you're going to see this first round be as college heavy as any we've seen in the last 10, 15 years. It does seem like there's quite a bit of high-end talent here. There, mm. you know, there are certainly tiers yeah. of talent. Uh, but there's sure. a lot of collegiate pitching, uh, which I think will, you know, fill out the the second half of the first round. But at the top, it's it's all offense, basically. Yeah, it's you have two guys that I think at the top of the draft who would be candidates to be the top pick in most drafts in Austin Martin of Vanderbilt and Spencer Torkelson of Arizona state. Most people have Torkelson ahead and I totally understand why uh, this is a guy who he he's the better version of Andrew Vaughn and Andrew Vaughn was a pretty darn is a pretty darn good prospect himself. A guy who can hit for average hit for monster power. I mean, we're talking about a guy who could be putting up Pete Alonzo type numbers with the power, but hit for actually a higher average to a much higher average actually. So certainly a guy like the reason why I kind of prefer Martin is, is because he's a guy who could play third base also could play center field hit for average, hit for power, uh, steal bases. Um, personally, for me, the reason why I have Martin a little higher as well is because Torkelson has to, because he's limited to first base, maybe you can get away with him being a very bad corner outfielder. Um, he has to max out with his bat to provide anywhere close to being the first or second overall pick or the first or second guy that you're drafting in your fantasy from this. He literally almost has to max out to reach that and we have seen a history of, with, with all due respect to Alonzo and Vaughn, right-handed hitting first baseman, not exactly the, uh, the most common thing that we see star players become uh, yeah. or star players uh, develop from. So that's why I have Martin slightly ahead. If I'm playing in a dynasty league, I want either of these guys really, really bad. There uh, is a, one high school uh, player who you have pretty high in, in your ranking, Zach Veen, who, who I was watching a video of today. He's kind of an exciting young talent. Yeah. Um, you talk about him for a bit. Sure. For sure. Yeah. He's uh, you know, he kind of reminds me of um, in a way he's not as good of a prospect as Bryce Harper, but he has a little bit of a Bryce Harper to his game. Uh, he has a little bit of the, the, the kids call it swag. And I think yeah. he has quite a bit of it. Um, Big-time power potential, really pretty swing, aesthetically pleasing from the left mm -hmm. side. Uh, Six-foot-four frame, so he's going to fill out. He can run. Uh, he should be a competent defender in the outfield. Uh, really smart uh, baseball acumen, a guy who uh, 
just really impressed in his limited time and, and played well in the showcases. Uh, if there's going to be a bat out of uh, that isn't Martin or Tarkelson who ends up being, if we did a redraft uh, type thing that I could see being uh, the star from this draft, I think it would be Dean. So Nick Gonzalez, I think is interesting. Um, yes. I think it's because it's really hard to read how his numbers are going to translate given where he played. Does that factor at all into where he might be drafted? Absolutely, yeah. See, because here's the question. The, there's no doubt that he can hit for average because he has a swing that's conducive to hitting line drives all over the park. He has good hand-eye coordination. The question is, is how real is this power? And he put up, like, the, the video game cliche of video game numbers. Uh, it, they, they literally are video game numbers. You would, you would say, all right, the simulation isn't working out. Uh, if you looked <laughs> As at, we know right like, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh, but, but the other question with Gonzalez, too, is where is he going to play? Because he, he gets the Keston Hira comment, comp, uh, even though Hira was never going to play shortstop. But there is that slim chance especially in this era of, of shifts that maybe you could get away with Gonzalez playing shortstop more than likely he's going to have to play second base. And there's even a chance that he might have to move into left field. So, so there's two big question marks with him is whether that power is really going to play my, the swing path suggests to me that he's more like a 15 to 18 Homer guy than a guy who, I mean, he, he was on pace to hit like 35 home runs in this college season. Um, I don't see that happening, but if, if he is that 20 to 25 homer guy, and if he really can stay up the middle, then he's going to be a steal. I, everything I've heard is he's going to go in that six to eight range. But uh, and, and there's certainly value in a fantasy prospect who can stay up the middle and hit 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 dingers and, and hit for a high average. But uh, there's a little more volatility, more volatility there when you're your typical college player. I noticed there's a, another Harvard Westlake pitcher <laughs> who's probably going to be a first round draft pick, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, yeah, so, he's he's an outfielder. Uh, but, oh, he's uh, an outfielder. Okay, yes, right. Okay. Yeah. I don't blame you for assuming right away that Harvard Westlake <laughs> is a pitcher. Uh, but what a, what an outstanding program that be. But yeah, Pete Armstrong is uh, a guy who has Pete Crow Armstrong is a guy who has huge fantasy upside as a guy who puts up double plus speed numbers. Uh, should be able to hit for average. Some questions about how much the power is going to be there. Uh, I think you're probably looking at, if you're doing it on the 2080 scale, I think maxing out at 50, there's a chance that it's 40 or lower, which which really can can hurt. But a guy who can hit for average, a guy who can run, and uh, oddly enough, has a cannon for an arm too. So maybe he can pitch, Drew. Maybe that's uh, you're suggesting that he's the next <laughs> two-way prospect. But uh, yeah, my mind, my mind's on yeah, Jack Flaherty, Lucas yeah. Giolito. Who else was Max uh, Freed? Max Freed, yeah. I yeah, the, yeah. I got to go. Uh, one of the very first things I I did for uh, money was getting to watch those three guys pitch in high school. It was uh, a lot of fun, and I was thinking, oh, this is uh, every every high school must have arms like this all across the country. <laughs> no, not really, right. but uh, <laughs> just just an unbelievable collection of talent. And there's. There's a few more guys from Harvard Westlake who have a chance to be drafted this year and, and the next coming years. It's it's one of the best uh, baseball programs in the country, without question. So I, I didn't realize this. I was I was doing some research on on Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, his parents are both actors who are oh, no like, kidding. Yeah, who have like been around. Like they're like actors where like maybe they're not like huge stars, but like when you see them, you're like, oh yeah, I know them. <laughs> and like that That's kind of actor, basically. I guess it's not surprising given where it is. Uh, but yeah, 
There's that, that's interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, because... now I'm gonna like just start looking that up while you guys <laughs> sure. talk. That, that's she interesting. Was in, his mom was in Little Big League. Oh, yep. no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I think mom. Billy Haywood's mom. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's interesting too because Luke Giolito is the uh, son of two actors, uh, and uh, grandfather was a uh, big part in Seinfeld. I'm blanking on the name now, but uh, the grandfather was. Uh, the owner of the cabin of, of I remember Susan. that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's interesting. It, it's probably not as uncommon considering where Harvard Westlake is. I mean, it might as well be called like Entourage High School or something <laughs> like that. But it's uh, it's definitely a uh, a well-to-do area with some very famous pretty people. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> okay, so uh, if you could guess, who do you think is going to be the first pitcher taken in the draft? I mean, I have a guess, but there are there does seem to be about th- three names, I'd say, who could be the first pitcher off the board. For sure. I think it's going to end up being Asa Lacey, um, just because I think he has uh, the best re- combination of track record and the ability to miss bats, uh, and also the fact that he has six foot four size. My personal favorite pitcher actually is Minnesota's Max Meyer. Uh, my buddy RJ Anderson at CBS Sports nicknamed the Murder Hornet, and I hope that <laughs> catches on because he's he's so fun to watch pitch. He is a guy who gets his fastball up into that triple digit area, has a absolutely filthy slider that you're going to see gif after gif after gif of this guy uh, just making people look foolish with this slider, and he has a good change and he throws everything for strikes. The issue, the issue with Meyer in, in real life, unfortunately, is the fact that he's listed, I believe, at six foot. He's probably shorter than that. We know how uh, people who are listed with that height usually <laughs> aren't quite at that uh, at that range. Uh, but but him, Emerson Hancock, Asalasi, Reed Detmers. This is a really strong college pitching class, and it kind of I. It's weird to say it's fortunate that it worked out this way, but. It, it's nice that there aren't prep players being pushed down because of this pandemic. It it just wasn't a strong prep class in the first place. It it, it kind of worked out that this was a very, very strong collegiate class. Yeah. So 
I've heard a little bit about this, that maybe Max Meyer is one of those guys, like, let's say, you know, there are the expanded rosters that teams are going to employ this year, which they'll be sort of, at least is what's been proposed, like these taxi squads full of, you know, top prospects, upper level, minor league type players. And maybe someone who's drafted this year could be thrown into that mix. Do you think Max Meyer could be that guy from this class that could arrive the fastest? You know, yes and no. I actually, I I do think there's a chance because it's really going to depend on where he ends up getting drafted. If he ends up getting drafted by a team that has a chance to uh, compete for a playoff spot or gets drafted by a team that treats this season almost like a, I hate to say it, a glorified spring training. Yeah, I could see that. The guy who I really could see making his debut this year, honestly, no matter what, especially with these taxi squads, is Reed Detmers out of Louisville, just because we we hear this every year about the left-hander who has the extremely high floor. He takes it to the extreme. Like he, His command is majorly ready right now. He throws everything for strikes, and he's not just a guy who throws into the strike zone. He hits his spots, uh, and his stuff is ready to go has a really good fastball, has a nice cut slider that can uh, be effective against both lefties and righties. Um, If I was going to take a guess of any pitcher who makes his debut this year or any player that makes a debut in 2020, it's still so rare that you see it, but it would be Detmers. But if Meyer did get that chance to pitch, he'd be a guy I'd want to add on my fantasy roster immediately because I think the strikeout rates, rates could be huge. He is your your best case scenario of the, the right-handed version of Josh Hader. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you talked about like teams, um, like a team in a position to, to win or to like get to a playoff spot. If we have like a 40 or 50 game season, that's like, that's every team. Like, yeah. Even your, yeah. even your, your Mariners were in first place for, no. you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, 25 no. games into the season last year, I, I, I was writing power rankings every week sure. and Mariners fans were mad that, I didn't put him in the top fifteen. Was that like, was that when Tim Beckham was like had like twelve home yeah. runs? And it was like the yeah. new Bash Brothers with Jay Bruce or something. <laughs> and then those down. Mariners fans got very quiet by like week <laughs> it's, five. It's, isn't it weird how that works? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, they they seem to. Uh, you have to understand that we've had a um, a couple of years, no more than that, of frustration in Seattle. <laughs> It can't be more than two or three, but um, <laughs> 19 years of not making the playoffs. You can, uh, just, you can just say whatever you want. It's 2020. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's the pro the system's getting better. I, I would say the only teams in, in your scenario that can't compete for the playoffs, in my personal opinion, would be Detroit, Florida, Kansas city, and Seattle. I, I it's just, even in an only 50 game season type of thing, it's just really hard for me imagining those guys competing, but that's one of the reasons why Detroit, you could see them give uh, Spencer Torkelson a chance to play this year. Mm. It's very likely that he's going to be that first pick. Uh, might as well give your fans a look at the future. And if it's really not going to be a huge hindrance of service time, and we shouldn't be talking about service time, speaking of things we're talking about in 2020, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where I could see, the Orioles giving Austin Martin a look just to give their fans a glimpse of why you should care about baseball in 2021. So it'll be, inter- it'll be interesting to see, but there, if there are going to be players to make their, make that jump, the John Oliver, Jim Abbott jump, I, I think that maybe this could be the year. Yeah. So Chris sale, I think, didn't he debut the same year he was drafted? I'm pretty sure. Mike Leak. 
Mike Leake did. Mike Leake did, yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember. I, I All I remember is being yelled at a lot about Chris Sale. <laughs> first, time, uh, first time people. Matt, Chris Sale and Matt Harvey were two of the guys that uh, I, I was both right and wrong about. It, it only took uh, nine years for Chris Sale to have the trouble I expected, but it's so hard. It's the making the adjustment, the difference between the talent levels, it, it, it's, it's almost impossible to really define. It's, it's the, these hitters are so good and have experienced so much development that asking them to be successful is, it's really hard. But if, if there are a couple of, of guys that have a skill set that suggests they can maybe hold their own for these well, two or three yeah. months. And if, you know, the owners eventually, like, ultimately impose, like, a 40-50 game season on the teams, and there could be some players who just want to sit out. So it could, you know, it could look a lot different. And maybe it, if it looks like spring training, like, you might as well get your top prospects in there. And, I mean, it, I guess it's better to, to have them playing in those games than, you know, just, just training at your spring training sites or right. know, sending them, waiting to send them to, like, a, a winter or fall league. And that's another thing too, is we've already heard uh, DJ, as you know, that like the Mets have uh, made some cuts uh, reportedly already of minor league systems. There may be no other place for these players to go yeah. than to go uh, on to these taxi squads, because yeah. normally you see these guys head into short season leagues or into, uh, into those Arizona summer leagues that may not exist. You may not have a choice, but to, have these guys around major league players and uh, you know, it, it, I ultimately, I think what's going to happen is 40 man rosters. Just, I don't see the point of them existing if you're playing a 50, even an 80 game season. So yeah. especially yeah. with no minor league baseball, almost assuredly. So it'll be yeah. real interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, you know, while I have you here, I think that's an important question. It's like, you know, a year with no minor league baseball and maybe there's a select group of prospects that are going to be playing on these these taxi squads. I mean, what does this mean for player development this year? It's a really good question. And it's it's one I wish I had like a definitive answer for, but it's impossible to say because it, it's so unprecedented. And I don't know how you, you have to think that there, there's going to be something where these guys are going to be able to get at bats before games and, and work with coaches and stuff like that. But as we've seen there, there's no simulating the, the real thing. It's, yeah. it's one of those things where prospects have to get at bats and, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, interesting because there's going to be players that are significantly hurt by missing this chance to yeah. uh, go play. And I, I, I don't know how many will be affected and we may not know until 2021 or 2022, but yeah, man, you are putting an awful lot of uh, confidence in your player development systems right now if you're not going to be playing minor league baseball. Totally. So I'm focusing a bit more on the position player side because if I'm thinking as a, a dynasty league sure. owner, you know, usually you're you're trying to go after the, the bats because they're just more of a sure thing. Uh, mm-hmm. my, one of my favorite names from this draft class is Heston uh, Kerstad. Uh, who, you know, I, I like the name because it sounds like a name, I, like a fake name I would have or something, <laughs> sure. uh, a code name. Uh, but, you know, watching his, his at-bats, I mean, he's, he's really impressive. He's another, uh, another college outfielder, uh, you know, who should go pretty early, I think. Yeah, I think he is, he's a guy who I could see end up going in, I think, pretty much a lock because of his skill set to go 
in the top 10. A guy that I've heard rumored go as high as five. Wouldn't shock me if he went three, four, five, six, somewhere in that area. Uh, speaking of the name, isn't that a name that like you can picture the Swedish chef saying and uh, being pretty happy about? Just testing you, Stid. But he's that was, definitely that was good. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, he's definitely a guy that I'd be looking at, and he's to me. We talk. I talk a lot about fantasy over reality prospects. He might be a guy that I I prefer kind of on the fantasy side because, yeah, the average may not be there. The swing's kind of long, but boy, he can really hit for power and. Uh, can take it out to all parts of the field, uh, has a good approach at the plate, so should be able to advance pretty fast. Not an elite defender, but not a guy who's going to be more of a detriment than an asset. So, yeah, I could see him moving quickly through the, through a system, uh, a guy who wouldn't call him a, a five-category helper, but a guy who can help you win the homer category, maybe hit in the middle of the order, should be able to provide some solid run production. Uh, that's that's good scouting eye by you, Mr. Short. <laughs> so a uh, name that you had high on your list as far as hitters uh, is kind of like, I guess, a divisive name, maybe polarizing, maybe is a better way of putting it. Uh, Garrett Mitchell from UCLA. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's probably the most divisive prospect in this class for some things that have nothing to do with baseball. And then there are some baseball issues. So the positives are obvious. He's a guy who has at least three tools that have a chance to be plus-plus in his hit, his run, and his arm. He's a a smart baseball player, uh, a guy who has a swing and a frame that suggests he can hit for power. The question is, can he make the swing adjustments? And and that's that's a tough one from a college player as well. You usually, with swing adjustment guys, I mean, it's more common now because of the launch angle uh, development and all, all of that stuff that it's a little more common now, but he's definitely going to have to make some adjustments to drive the baseball. I have no doubt he can hit for average. I have no doubt he can steal bases. And then the other issue is that he does, he is a type one diabetic and we've seen players deal with that situation without issue, but it's there's, it'd be foolish to say that it's not something that's on the minds of, uh, of draft the people who are making draft decisions. So yeah, I, he, to me, I mean, we just talked about fantasy over reality this is the definition of one because I could see this guy being a guy who maybe does have to sit a few games because of the issue and may not handle left-handed pitching as well, but his rates are going to be outstanding. I see a guy who could be a 300 hitter. If he does make that swing adjustment, 20 homers and give you 30, 40 stolen bases as well. So yeah, I'm a big fan, but I will admit that there's just as much risk as there is reward. Well, I, I hope I can find some like draft props on the MLB draft, and maybe we could do like a, <laughs> a, a YouTube show, Chris, and yeah, make, make some people some money. I don't, I don't yeah. know. I've never, I've never really seen that offered though. But I don't know. I haven't are, either. Are, people are desperate. Now, uh, to be fair, um, one of us is a degenerate, and one of us isn't. So I haven't looked I as much <laughs> into, into those situations. I don't know but, what you're talking about. Just, you're you're just, never welcome back on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you're not the decision maker. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, this is uh, this is uh, this, that would be an interesting uh, thing because the Major League Baseball draft is so so. Di- I mean, we've talked about it a lot. It's so different than every other draft that making uh, making a uh, this a, a gambling sort of thing to do, and I'm sure it exists somewhere. There's got to be. You guys remember Vegas Vacation where there's that casino where uh, 
like you're playing, like pick a number between one and 10 and uh, stuff like that. I imagine some casino like that adds the MLB uh, draft uh, draft prop bets, but uh, because it's so different and so much of it is based on signability rather than best player available. I wonder if that's just an issue that Vegas maybe yeah. frowns. I just looked up on two sites and all I'm getting is Korean baseball lines. So huh. that's, that's where we're at as a, as a, uh, MLB media operation. I don't know. You know, you could do a drinking game and take a shot every time Harold Reynolds makes a comp. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Right. Yeah. We're yeah, going to get hammered. Do not drive. <laughs> if, 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 take, take a shot every time Reynolds makes a comp uh, and then take, uh, take a half a shot any time any variation of I like this guy is said by anybody <laughs> in the draft. Or maybe, maybe, maybe turn on ESPN and watch Kylie McDaniel, who does this for a living, um, actually uh, announce the uh, give you your prospect reports rather than a. Uh, you know yep. what? You know what? I, I, I think this is actually this is a good time to mention it. Like when you contrast the the coverage of drafts where sure. like. MLB, I think everything everything's very, you know, everyone's being respectful and nice and whatever. But, like, I feel like in the other drafts, you know, NFL especially, like, there's sometimes immediate critical reaction sure. to the picks. With I think it's harder with baseball, too, because you just don't know how things are going to turn out. And also, you're drafting, like, high school kids. Are you really going to be like, that was terrible, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, sure. But there's definitely a contrast in the way these drafts are covered. No, there's no question about it. I mean, when you were talking about that, the first thing that actually came to my mind is that NBA draft where Anthony Bennett was the first pick and you heard yeah. Bill Simmons yell out, wow, um, you just don't get that in uh, baseball. And part of that is because, uh, with all due respect to them, with only MLB Network covering it, it's 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 more of an infomercial than it is a, mm -hmm. uh, a actual critique of what's going on. You just... Right. Uh, you just aren't going to see them slam, especially like you're saying, it does kind of look bad slamming 17, 18 year yeah. olds being <laughs> drafted. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like I, I can remember at a time uh, there was a pick by the Brewers, uh, Cody Medeiros, and yeah. clearly was not a first round talent. And I, I wrote something on Twitter that I said, I wonder why the Brewers are have, cause you, do you remember how bad that Brewer system was for a couple of years? Sure. Um, and I was like, I wonder why the Brewers don't have a, uh, great system. And I immediately was like, you're, you're slamming a, a pick of an 18 year old dude. What are you doing? Like there's, there's just, it's it, it, but it is hard because you do want to give honest evaluations and yeah. uh, I'm sure I'll be on freezing cold takes for a few of these. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it is, I think it's worth pointing out that majorly the MLB network is going to be uh, treating this more like, a promotion of their product than an honest pick-by-pick -pick critique. Yeah. So there's a number of catchers who are projected to go in the mm -hmm. first round. Uh, how many actually have a good chance of sticking behind the plate, though? That's always the that, big question. That's a really good question, yeah. I, I think that we're actually in this draft, these, these catchers all project to stay behind the plate. Um, the one who's the highest on me, on my board, especially from fantasy uh, perspective is Dylan Dingler from Ohio State, 
And the reason why I like him is in, in my report, I called him. He's, he's kind of that unicorn prospect of being a guy who should be able to stay behind the plate and also can steal bases. He's a, he's has well above average speed. Uh, a guy who reminds me kind of the right-handed hitting version of Dalton Varsho, uh, hmm. a prospect that I, I think we've talked about a few times as a, a real high fantasy potential guy because of that ability to give you help in a category that you just don't usually see. But uh, Austin Wells, Tyler Soderstrom, uh, Patrick Bailey, uh, there's, there is a plethora. This is probably the strongest catching draft that I can honestly remember. Yeah. Uh, there's, there may not be that superstar. Like there's, there, there's no Adley Rutschman in this group, but I can see like five or six guys being well above average uh, catchers who end up sticking behind the plate and, that's I, I talk about uh, the the premium that you pay for positional value catcher. If you, if you can get a solid prospect uh, behind the plate, it's very, very valuable in these times. So sort of last question for me, uh, it does seem that there's kind of a lot of interchangeable uh, college pitchers that I think will populate probably, you know, 15 to 30 in this draft. Is there, sure. are there favorites of yours that you'd like to mention? Sure. Um, one of the guys, and this is probably, if Garrett Mitchell isn't the most uh, divisive prospect, uh, Garrett Crochet from Tennessee is probably that next guy. Um, the stuff is is obvious, and the risk with Crochet is he just hasn't had the success in really any level with that stuff. His ERA uh, for Tennessee is something like in the, in the mid four fives, and he really hasn't had that success, but. This fall, he showed a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, a wipeout slider, and at least an above-average change. And he has a delivery uh, that suggests he can repeat it, and he's six foot six. But he, he, he's a guy that you're really you're, you're dreaming on because he do- hasn't had that success. But he's a guy that I think uh, really has a chance to, if he doesn't end up being that mid-rotation number two, maybe number two starter, I could see him being dominant in relief, especially because he has that arm slot that could give left-handers fits and that slider that you can put into the back feet of right-handers. Um, he's definitely, definitely a risky prospect because of the lack of success, but uh, he's definitely one of my favorite pitchers in this draft. Cool. So the, the draft starts uh, next Wednesday. Um, next I, Wednesday. I, it would be really nice if like there was an announcement on that day or before then that like, the union and players have agreed to the financial aspect of uh, their return to play initiative. Very, it's going to be very good timing. And it like needs to happen too. It does. Can you imagine how awkward this draft is going to be if there isn't? I mean, yeah. it's just like, it's, I mean, there's not going to be fans in there anyway, but uh, I would imagine you've, you've all heard uh, Goodell uh, when he comes out for their, uh, if you guys can remember when, when he came out for when the labor strife was going on and I hate calling it labor strife because this really is, it, it does have labor stuff, but it, this is a pandemic related uh, yeah. issue, but it's, uh, it's going to be so awkward to see players picked for the future of the sport when not to sound too saccharine, the future of the sport is really being debated right now. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's kind of sad too, because if you remember the original plans for this draft, they were going to do it during the college world series, right? That's yep. right. Yeah, that's I totally had forgotten about that because there are eight thousand four hundred thirty-two other things making me sad right now that I yeah. forgot that we had uh, discussed that, and that was going to be such a cool thing. And it was 
a way to um, really promote the sport of college baseball as well and to let those players um, focus on because it's it's so weird seeing players get drafted like while they're playing in this game and stuff right. like that gave it gives them the chance to to focus on that game and also get their shine I I certainly hope that if we have that chance in 2021 that they bring that draft back to Omaha. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be really cool. So hopefully we get that next year. But uh, like you were saying, Drew, I mean, I, I think they got to get something done by this draft or otherwise it's going to be so, so awkward. Uh, but either way, we'll be covering it <laughs> at Roto World. Uh, and so keep an eye out. I think you're going to be doing the the blurbs for the for the picks. Uh on our that's correct player news page so uh look yeah forward I'll, to seeing I'll, that as always yep for sure i'll have uh, all 37 picks of uh day one and i'll have uh, some good info in there for you i think no astros awesome. pick right no astros <laughs> pick. that is correct that is correct no astros pick and uh very few red sox picks as well it's gonna be <laughs> It'll be a real interesting time for those fan bases. Well, thanks again, Chris, for for joining us here. This was a ton of fun. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Hey, can I make a quick uh, music recommendation real quick? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Go for it. The the new Run the Jewels 4 album is is one of the best hip-hop albums I've heard probably since uh, Kendrick Lamar released Damn. It is... The production is off the charts. The lyrics are, I mean, Killer Mike is one of the best lyricists. He, he has been for years, but he, he steps the game up uh, to a whole other level. LP's production and LP's bars continue to improve as well. Um, it is such a good album. And unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever way you want to look at it, it's uh, a really, it's, it's, it's very apt for what we're going through right now. Yeah. Um, especially a few tracks that talk about police brutality. So I, I definitely, it's free as well. So if you uh, like not spending money on good things, that's another high recommendation for it. So yeah, run the jewels four, go get it. It's awesome. I, w- I was bumping it all day. It, it is legitimately so awesome. And I agree with your, uh, like the production value is better. The beats are better. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Like, and I, I just love those two guys rapping. I love the contrast of their delivery and voices, but I think they've they've stepped it up even further on this one. It's a great album. For sure. And Killer Mike, he actually he gave sort of an impromptu oh, speech. So good. so good. Uh last week. If to you be, haven't to seen be able it, to, yeah. you you definitely to, should. It's it's still relevant right now. And it, you know, it got me emotional watching it. Oh, it me too. Just it, to be able to do that off the cuff. Like man. what kind of talent is that? <laughs> I know. I mean he he is unbelievable. So definitely check that out, and, and thanks so much for, for mentioning that, Chris. Uh, if, you, if you like what you're hearing with this show, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review if you don't mind. We'd really appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short. Drew is at Drew Silv. Be safe out there, and we'll see you next time. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.